All right, how are we? Wow, that was great. I said, how are we? Thank you. I'm, I'm sensitive like that. I need a response. If you have a Bible, grab your Bible. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, I want to say just uh, we are excited uh, that you are here with us today. We're going to wrap up our series that we've done on the life of a man named Elijah. Uh, we've done this, uh, this four-week series. This is uh, the, the, the last of that series. Uh, we've seen this, 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 this life of this tremendous man. I mean, this, this guy Elijah is this, this, this tremendous, fascinating man of God. And we've seen God just do some amazing things in his life. And so I'm excited to be able to, to, to finish this today. Um, as we start out, though, I want to start out with, uh, with, with a corny joke. Forgive my corny jokes, but this is how we're going to start today. So there's a college professor. And uh, the college professor, he's got a class of mostly freshmen. And uh, freshmen from all over the world. And so this, this day, the, the, the professor says, I want to I talk to you students. I want to talk to you freshmen. And I want to I ask you some questions. I want to uh, understand how much you understand about our culture. And, and so he says, I want to know from you freshmen, what is the opposite of, of joy? And this girl over in the corner from China, she kind of raises her hands and, and says, well... You know, the opposite of joy is, is sadness. And the professor says, well, that's right. Good answer, you know. How about this? What is, what is the opposite of depression? And a boy, a boy from France sitting on this side, he says, well, the opposite of depression is, is, is elation. The professor says, good job. You know, I'm impressed. And, and, and how about this? What is the opposite of, of woe? And a boy from Texas in the back says, giddy up. Giddy up. Depression is what I feel when nobody laughs at my corny jokes. I mean, that is what depression is. Uh, elation. <laughs> All right, First Kings chapter 19. If you need a Bible, if you just put your hand up, we've got an usher in the back. They'd love to, to put one of our Bibles in your hand. Let that be our gift to you. We're going to be in First Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read the first 18 verses, and uh, you can follow along in your Bible or on screen. And it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And I looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Oreb, the mount of God. And there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, 
For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. Now they seek to take my life, to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, there came a voice to him, And said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, have thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek to take my life, to take it away. The Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael over king of Assyria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meloah, uh, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. The one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And he says, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. That this morning is God's word for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come in and just to be able to hear your word, to be able to read it and be be able to understand it. And God, I pray as we we begin to look at this message, Lord, I pray that that you would speak through your word, that this just wouldn't be a pastor's words, but this would be you speaking directly to us. God, I pray that your spirit would fill us and give us understanding, that we would understand what it is that you have to teach us and to tell us today. And God, I pray for every one of us that we would be open, that our hearts would be open to hearing from you today, that you would speak to us and draw us to yourself. We pray for your hand in our time together, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So I love the life of Elijah. He has lived such an extremely fascinating and outrageous life, and he has seen God do uh, outstanding things in his life time and time again. I mean, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, we, we learned that God called Elijah out of nowhere. God called Elijah from out of nowhere to go and confront the evil king named Ahab. And he, he confronts the evil king and he says, hey, king, there's going to be no rain that will come upon this land until I ask God for it to rain. And sure enough, There was uh, pronounced a huge drought, and there was no rain for three and a half years. Then we saw God lead Elijah into a season of hiding, a season of preparation, where God was cutting him down, where God was humbling Elijah, where God was teaching Elijah, was teaching Elijah to have a complete dependence on God and God alone. We saw God supernaturally provide for Elijah through ravens, that brought him meat and bread every day. We saw God supernaturally provide for Elijah when there's a drought and God caused a brook to, to give water to Elijah every day so Elijah could continue living. Then one day we know that the, the brook dried up 
And this was God leading Elijah to a new place, to a place called Zarephath. And, and at this place, Zarephath, uh, Elijah met this widow. And this widow, she was broke. She was broker than all broke. She had just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil left. And, and she was there and she said, I'm going to go and prepare the last meal for me and my son before we die. But Elijah spoke faith into it and said, you know, that's not going to run out. And God supernaturally multiplied that little bit of flour, that little bit of oil. And God sustained Elijah and the widow and her son for, for months on this little bit of flour and oil. Then one day, then one day, uh, the, the, the widow's son died. And, 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 and Elijah says, well, I don't know what to do. So Elijah picks the boy up, and he carries him up to the upper room, and he prays to God and says, God, I know you can do this. Would you raise this boy? And God brings this boy back to life. And Elijah's sitting there looking on, and he's saying, man, God is faithful. Man, God is good. Man, God is powerful. Then, I guess it's now three weeks ago, we saw God call Elijah back to confront the king. And the false gods of Baal. And he says, hey, "Hey, king, I want you to go and get 450 of your your false prophets of Baal. Bring your your prophets out. And and we're going to have this ultimate showdown. And we're going to build these altars. And we're going to put these offerings on it. And and your prophets are going to pray to their God. And they're going to say, God, would you, Baal, would you bring fire and burn this offering? And, and so we know that the prophets, they did their little dance, and they sang, and they did all these cutting themselves, and did all these weird things trying to get their God's attention. But Baal was silent. There was no response. And then it was Elijah's turn. Elijah prays, and he says, God, would you show yourself to these people? And God sends fire down from heaven, and it destroys the altar, and it burns the offering And everybody cries out, Lord, you're God. Lord, you are God. And Elijah is sitting there looking on saying, wow, God. Wow, you are a big God. You are a great God. You are a powerful God. Then two weeks ago, we know that Elijah, he, he went to the mountain and he climbed up to the top. And he prayed to God and said, God, would you send rain? God, it's been three and a half years since it's rained. We've been in a drought. People have been dying. The economy has crashed. God, would you send rain? And he prayed seven times. Seven times he prayed to God. And on the, after the last time, he looked out over the distance, and there was a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, it's coming. It's coming. And sure enough, there was a, a great storm that came. And, and we see Elijah, again, he experiences God's provision, God's protection over and over and over and over again. This is the way the, the life of Elijah has played out, where God has continued to reveal himself. God has continued to show up. God has continued to do supernatural, miraculous things in his life. He has continued to show Elijah just how powerful he is, just how faithful he is. Look what happens in verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. You see, Ahab, uh, Ahab towards the end of his reign, remember he was a 19th consecutive evil king. Not just a bad king, but he was a 19th consecutive evil king. In fact, he was, the Bible says he was more evil than all those who came before him. And towards the end of his reign, he's just kind of checked out. 
He's kind of checked out, and he's kind of handing the reins, handing the leadership over to his wife. He says, hey, wife, here's what, here's what Elijah has done, and I just don't know what to do anymore. So this is what Jezebel says. She takes over in verse 2. It says, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She's referring to the dead prophets of Baal. The 450 dead prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, after, after the showdown, after they were defeated, those 450 prophets died. And, and Jezebel says, hey, let it be done worse to me if I don't take your life by tomorrow. She says, Elijah, you're a dead man. Elijah, I'm going to kill you. And look what it says. Look, look what it says about Elijah. He was what? Verse 3, what does it say? He was afraid. And what did Elijah do because he was afraid? He ran for his life. I mean, this, this is, you got to understand just how amazing this is. Because Elijah has seen God do such amazing things in his life. Elijah has seen God send fire down from heaven. He has seen God raise this boy from the dead. He has seen God bring ravens to give him food every day. He has seen God do all these things. He's seen God do far greater, crazy, inexplainable things. He's seen God intervene and show his power and his love and his might. And then a woman comes up and says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah freaks out. He just completely freaks out. He panics and he runs away trying to save his own life. You see, one of the things that we talked about is sometimes we look at the life of Elijah and we have a hard time connecting with it. Because Elijah seems like he's just this MVP type Christian. He's, he's this super duper prophet. You know, he's high and he's holy and he's righteous. And, you know, that's great that God did all these things for him. That's great that every time he prayed that God answered his prayers. That's great because, because he's this prophet. And me over here, I'm not a prophet. I'm struggling just to make it day by day. You know, he's the MVP on the field, and I'm the guy out behind the stands. That's how it works, right? And so we, we say sometimes it's hard to connect with Elijah. But remember, James 5 says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a man with a nature like ours. And so today, Elijah, uh, uh, we're going to see Elijah experience something that you, or, you and I, we may or may not uh, have a difficulty with. We may or may not have experienced something called depression. You see, Elijah, he's had these great victories, and now Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And we see Elijah enter into a season of depression. See, this is why I love Elijah, because we look at, we would try to make him this big, super-duper prophet, but he's just like us. He struggles with the same things we struggle with. And so, and so, we're going to look today at this idea of depression. Now, the majority of people sometime during their lifetime are going to suffer from depression. I mean, we've, we're heading into the holiday season. Depression is valid in the holiday season. Maybe you've got one of those families. You know what kind of family I'm talking Maybe that's your family. And you enter into the holiday season and say, man, crap, I've got to see all these people again. You know, we think about the holidays and depression, and we think, you know, what happens the day after Thanksgiving? That's when depression sinks. Actually, that's Black Friday. So after you get your credit card statement from Black Friday, that depression begins to sink in, right? And then, and, then, and then I know for my kids, they get through Christmas, and they come to Christmas Day, and it's exciting. 
But then the day after Christmas comes, and it's not exciting anymore. Right? Because all the presents are open. You know, you may or may not have gotten what you want. And depression is something that, that many of us will deal with in our lifetime. And as we enter the holiday, se- holiday season, it's prevalent within the holiday season. So I want to talk and look, and I want to point out, start out this morning, I want to point out four ways, four ways that led to Elijah being depressed. These are things that, that we, you and I will struggle with as well. So look at verses 3 through 5 with me. Look at verses 3 through 5. It says, Then he, Elijah, was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die. See, it's amazing. After all that God has done for him, after all that God has done to reveal himself to him, he's praying that his life would end. And he prays and says, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept under a broom tree. So we've got four steps that, takes, that Elijah takes to get depressed. Number one, Elijah wears himself out. Elijah wears himself out. You see, he's had this three and a half year massive spiritual battle. He's been going on the spiritual battle and he's been praying and he's been trusting God. And then he's praying and then he's trusting God. And then he's praying and then there's a battle and he's trusting God and there's another battle. And then, and then, and then he continues and this goes on and on for three and a half years. And now we see him running for his life. And geographically, it says he ran to Beersheba, which is geographically as far away that he could run as possible. This was in the southern tip of Israel's territory. Actually, it's in the southern kingdom of Judah. This is the very bottom of their kingdom, of their land. And, and it says that he leaves his buddy there. And then he runs another full day further into the desert. You see, he ran as far and as fast as he possibly could. And at this point, he is totally and physically exhausted. He has worn himself out. I mean, isn't this much like us? Isn't this much like what we do? I mean, I mean, we, we wonder, well, why am I feeling so down now? Well, we've straight up worn out. We straight up worn ourselves out. I mean, you've got to anticipate this is what goes on in life. I mean, we're working. I mean, we're trying to keep, keep the house up and, and clean. We're, we're, we're trying to put dinner on the table. We've got kids, and we're running our kids out to the 17 different activities that they're doing. You know, we're involved in the PTA. We're involved in the church. You know, we've got our hobbies. You know, we've got the gym. We've got to make time to be at the gym. You know, then we've got, then we've got our buddies that we've got to hang out with. We've got family we've got to spend time with. And then, you know, when we get home, you've got to go home, and you've got to watch The Voice. You've got to stay up till 10 o'clock to watch your favorite TV shows. And then you go, and you climb in your bed, and instead of going to sleep, you know, you're on, you're on your phone checking on the new news on Facebook trying to figure out what happened throughout the day. And we are physically wearing ourselves out. We run, we run, we run. And we do and we do and we do. And we wear ourselves out physically. And the holidays, it's the same thing. I mean, we, we have this idea that we have to go to every festivity. We have to find all the right gifts at just the right price. And, and we run, we run, we run all holiday season. And we're wearing ourselves out. And it's not just something that we do physically, it's something that we also do emotionally. We say things like, you know, I've got to be there for them. You know, I've got to make sure that I'm there. I've got to make sure that they're covered. You know, I, I've got to be strong for everybody. 
You know, I've got to be the provider. I've got to help to nurture them. We have all the stuff that goes on inside of us. We're wearing ourselves out. Physically and emotionally, we just wear ourselves out, just like Elijah. Number two, Elijah. Number two, the second way that he uh, gets to depress is he shuts people out. This is exactly what Elijah did. He abandoned his closest friend. He said, you stay here, I'm going to go on. And quite honestly, isn't this what we do when we get overwhelmed? Quite honestly, isn't that what we do? You know, if I'm going, I'm not going to let you into this right now. You know, I've got the stuff going on and you would understand it anyways. And, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take care of it myself and, and I'm going to take care of me and I'm not going to invite you in to, to, to walk through this with me. No, no, no. And if I did invite you, you just wouldn't understand it anyways. And so we begin to shut people out. We put walls up and we push people away. And I hate to admit this, but when I'm feeling overwhelmed, this is exactly what I do. I begin to put my walls up. And I begin to say, you know, I'm just going to deal with this myself. I'm going to just get through this on my own. You wouldn't understand what I'm going through anyways. And so we stiff arm people and keep them out. And say no. And we shut people out. The third thing Elijah does is he begins to focus on the negative. This is exactly what our hero does. This is exactly what this man of God, Elijah, does. He said, I've had enough. He said, I'm no better than my ancestors. But what's funny is no one ever asks that question. No one's asking, are you better than your ancestors? No one's comparing you to your ancestors. But he is so consumed with the negative. Yeah, I'm no better than anybody else. I'm no better than them. You see, in our mind, self-pity begins to take over. Self-pity exaggerates. Self-pity, what it does is it exaggerates. We we begin to say things like, man, I'm never going to be any good. Man, 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 I'm always going to be stuck in life. Man, life is never going to get better. I'm never going to get into that college because I got this dumb grade. I'm never going to get that promotion. My kids are never going to come to Jesus. Thanksgiving, because of Thanksgiving, I'm never going to fit into those jeans again. And, and, and we, our mind, our self-pity begins to exaggerate things. And, and we exaggerate and we focus on all of the negative. We focus on all of the bad things and none of the good things. And number four, you forget God. Number four, the fourth step to depression is you forget God. And we do this. I mean, imagine, imagine what, 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 what we have seen God do in the life of Elijah. All the ways that God has showed himself. All the ways that God has said, I'm powerful and I'm strong and I'm here for you and I'm faithful. Supernatural provision, the protection, the ravens, the, the water, the raising of the dead, the fire, the rain. And here's Elijah. Oh God, you're not going to come through for me. We do this, don't we? We do this. I mean, I mean, God has been so faithful in our lives. We know that God has carried us through some hard times that we couldn't have made it through on our own. I mean, I know God has carried me through times that I, I, I would have stumbled and given up long ago. He was there. God has provided. God has comforted. God has given us strength. God has been everything I need. But in that moment, we're getting down. We're feeling depressed. 
we forget the faithfulness of God. So here the man of God, the MVP prophet, the role model Christian, he's depressed, without hope, hiding, wants to die. But see, I'm thankful that this text is not just a doom and gloom. That, that, that Elijah can come to this point of being down and depressed and God doesn't leave him there. The story doesn't end there. You see, there is a prescription for our depression. God gives us a prescription for Elijah's depression and this is a prescription for our depression as well. He provides the answer to depression. Look with me at verse 5. And it says, And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. See, God sends an angel to represent himself. And notice what this angel doesn't do. Notice what this angel doesn't do. He doesn't do a, he doesn't give a sermon. He doesn't rebuke Elijah. He doesn't shame Elijah. He doesn't say, Elijah, if you just had more faith. No, he doesn't do that. There's nothing negative. In fact, the angel says this. He says, eat and rest. You see, God's prescription for depression, number one, is to take care of our physical needs. The angel, speaking on behalf of God, says, eat and rest. Verse 6 says, And Elijah looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and lay down again. (laughs) See, I love I love that the story of Elijah always comes back to food. I mean, when you love food, you just appreciate that it's always coming back to food. I mean, there's, there's the meat and the ravens, and, and now again, God is providing food. I'm a big fan of food, so I appreciate that. So the angel says, eat, drink, and lay down again. Do you realize that one of the most spiritual things that we can do for ourselves sometimes is to just rest? I know, I know some of you in here say you're very spiritual. You know, you're, you're in here, you're very spiritual, and you say, no, Kevin, no, Kevin, no, Kevin. We need another meeting. We need another Bible story that I have to go to, and that's the most spiritual thing I can do. The most spiritual thing I can do is read my Bible more. The most spiritual thing I can do is I can pray more, and I can pray harder, and I can pray longer. <laughs> Those are good things. But I want you to understand the spiritual implications of rest. See, perhaps the most disobeyed command in God's word is the command to honor the Sabbath day, to take a Sabbath day of rest. I mean, we, we just, we shake that command off and, you know, it's not that important. You know, we can just skip that one. That one's not that big of a deal. But you see, God during creation, remember what he did? He created for six days. And on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. He rested. See, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, oh yeah, this is great. I'd love to rest. But do you know how big my to-do list is? It's like 17 pages long. I've got too many things to do. And I bet God would say, you know what? I bet God would say, it doesn't really matter if the clothes are still dirty. It doesn't really matter if the house is, is, is all the way clean. You know, I would, say, I would say that God isn't really concerned of whether or not the lawn gets mowed right now. I don't think God would really be concerned if there are a few things left undone. Because sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is rest. 
The most spiritual thing that you and I can do for our soul is just to rest. Now, my excuse is this. My excuse is, well, I'm just in a busy season. I'm in a busy season. There's a lot of things that has to be done. And, you know, after the season is over, then I'll begin to slow down and I'll begin to rest. But you know the problem is? It doesn't ever slow down. Because one busy season is followed by another busy season. And then there's another one and another one. (laughs) That's the way it works. So the angel provides food for Elijah, and then he lets him take a nap. Look at verses uh, 7 and 8. Let's read on. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time, and he touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose, and he ate, and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Oreb, the mount of God. Now this Mount Oreb, is interesting. This is the uh, scholars say this is the same mountain that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. This is the same mountain that God appeared to Moses to give him the Ten Commandments. And so what we see is we see Elijah eating and resting, and then we see Elijah going to church. He's going to the place where God is. Number two for us this morning in our prescription for depression is God replaces our lies with his truth. God begins to replace our lies with his truth. And I believe that this will speak to some of us today. You see, God knows that we believe some of these lies. We believe lies. And, and God wants to replace those lies with his truths. Look at verses uh, 9 and 10. It says, There he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I'm going to pause right there and acknowledge that God knew why Elijah was there. God's not trying to do some investigative work. Hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? No, God is supernatural. God knows all things. But God wants to give Elijah an opportunity to respond with where he's at, to to state his issue, to state his problem. Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, have thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, God knew why Elijah was there, but God wanted Elijah to voice his issue, to verbalize the lies that Elijah was believing, so that God could correct those lies and replace them with his truth. So God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. That's true, right? He's been very zealous for the Lord. That's true. He says, the Israelites, they've rejected your covenant. And yeah, that's true as well. We know the Israelites have done that. And he says, they've broken down your altars, God. That's true. That's what's happened. He says, and they have put your prophets to death with the sword. And that's true. That's happened. We've read it. And I, I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. And God says, no, that's false. And he says, well, well, I'm the only one left. And God says, no, that's false. And Elijah says, well, well, I'm doing all the work. And God says, no, that's false. And Elijah says, well, I'm the, I'm the only one who cares. And God says, no, that's false. And Elijah says, well, I'm the only one that can get it done. And God says, no, that's a lie. You see, Elijah was owning more responsibility than what was truly his. I mean, he had done what God asked him to do, but he had this idea that he was supposed to do everything. 
I mean, God said, go and do this, and he had this idea. Well, okay, I'm doing it, so I have to take, car- take charge of everything. That's my responsibility. And, and Elijah's sitting there, and he says, nobody cares like I do. I mean, everybody is depending on me. I am all alone. Nobody understands. But remember what we read in verse 18. God says there are 7,000 other Israelites who have not bowed down to the false god of Baal. He said there are 7,000 others who are still seeking me, who are still praying to me. And God is saying to Elijah, hey, don't believe those lies. Don't believe that lie that you're all alone. Replace that lie with my truth. (laughs) Oh, imagine. Imagine the lies that God wants to replace in our lives. I mean, imagine the lies that we believe in our own lives. My spouse. My spouse will never change. My marriage can never be healed. Why? Why? Would, why? Because with God, all things are possible. So don't believe that lie because God says all things are possible. Well, you know, my kids, my kids, you know, they'll never come back to Jesus. They'll never surrender to him and they'll never come back to church. But why I believe that lie? Because God says that with a faith the size of a mustard seed, that God can move mountains. Well, you know, what about, what, no, uh, what about the medical report that says I have three months to live? Well, why believe that? Because is God greater than that or not? I mean, I mean we have these, the, these ideas. You know, my life will never get any better. I will, I will never have an intimate relationship. I will be alone for the rest of my life. I will be stuck in my dead-end job forever. I, I will never have a real ministry that I can call my own and feel like I'm, I'm making a difference. I, you know, I will, I will never find a spot that I could just make a difference in somebody's life. You know, my family, they will, they will never change. I'm always going to struggle and have, have these fights with my family. You know, I'm always going to be alone. And these are the lies that we believe. These are the lies that we allow to creep in. And God wants to replace our lies with his truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I can't tell you the lies that I've believed in my own life. Because that's what Satan wants. Satan wants us to believe those lies. He wants us to feel trapped. He wants us to think that there's no hope. But God's word says so different. God's word says so completely different. God wants us to be free and believe his truth. Where are you at right now? What lies are you believing? Don't believe them. Don't believe them. Because that's not the whole truth. Elijah said, I'm all alone. And God says, no, that's not the whole truth. There are 7,000 who are still surrendered to me, who are still following. You're not alone, Elijah. Whatever lie you're believing, trust that God is greater than that. Because God will show up. Number three. Third prescription for our depression. This is meaningful to me. It says, God speaks in a still, small voice. God speaks in a still, small voice. Elijah 
Elijah's used to this miraculous. Elijah is used to God showing up in this, this ball of fire that falls from heaven. Elijah is used to God showing up and, and doing supernatural things like bringing a raven that brings him, uh, brings him uh, chicken every night. Not chicken, that would be inappropriate. Brings him steak every night. And, and, and here, here uh, he's thinking that God's going to show himself in an earthquake. You know, that, that God will, will send fire to reveal himself. But, but look at verses 11 and 12. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. You see, sometimes when we're in the lowest, sometimes when we've hit the lowest, God speaks the softest. Sometimes it's just a word. It's not much. It's not loud. But it is exactly enough. It's exactly what we need. No booming sign. I mean, God is capable to show himself in a fireball. And he's exactly, he's done that exact thing. But here God is showing up in a still, small voice. See, I, I'm taking comfort today that there are some in here today who are looking for answers. Who are looking for God. And I don't take any confidence in myself. I don't take any confidence that my words will mean anything to you. But my prayer is that through my words, that between my words, that behind my words, that God can and God will speak to you. That if you listen closely, you will hear his still, small voice saying, I'm here. I'm here. I'm enough. I'm enough for you right now. I'm real. I never left you. You are never alone. This is it. The still small voice of God speaking to us when we're at our lowest. Prescription for depression. God takes care of our physical needs. He replaces our lies with his truth. He speaks in a still small voice. And number four, God gives us something to do. Number four, God gives us something to do. Look at verses 15 and 16. And the Lord said to him, Go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king of Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, of Abel, Melola, uh, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. In other words, God is saying, Elijah, go back to doing what prophets do. Go back to do what prophets do. Go back to doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I believe that the, the Spirit would speak to some of us in here today to say there are still many things for us to do. You feel down. You feel blue. You feel depressed. You feel beaten. You feel like there's nowhere to go. You've, you, you're, you're, you're hopeless. You've lost confidence. You don't see it. But I take comfort in knowing that God is speaking today to say if you are still alive, 
you are not yet done. If you are still alive, you are not yet done. If you are still here, God still has something to do through you and in you. So God tells Elijah, go back to do what prophets do. Go back to doing what prophets are doing and, and call people out to be king and call people out to be the prophets and, and go do what you're supposed to be doing. And you're saying, well, I'm not a prophet. So what am I supposed to do? Well, are you a mom? Go back to doing what moms are supposed to be doing. Are you a business person? Well, go back to doing what business people are supposed to do. Are you a person of prayer? Then go back to doing what people of prayer do, which is pray to God. If you have the gift of giving, then go back to, to doing the gift of giving and, and go and give. If you have the gift of encouragement, then go back to doing what people with the gift of encouragement are supposed to do, which is encourage other people. You say, well, I'm not a prophet. Are you a husband? Go back to doing what a husband is supposed to do. Are you a child? Go back to doing what a child is supposed to do. Go back. God is not done with you. Go back and do what God has called you to do. Because when we do that, watch. Because God will bring this new life, this, this, this excited life right back in us. When we start doing what we're supposed to be doing. When we're down, when we're feeling the weights of the world, and we just get back to doing what we're supposed to be doing, it's like new life comes into us. And it, and it breathes life, and it breathes encouragement. And pretty soon we're right back up on top. So God tells Elijah, go back, O oh man of God, and do what prophets are supposed to do. See, we aren't going to go through, there's a few more details of Elijah's life. I'm just going to summarize. You know, the end of Elijah's life is pretty tremendous. Think back. Think back to the beginning of our message today. What, what was the thing that Elijah feared most? Death, right? Remember Jezebel? I'm going to kill you. The thing that Elijah feared the most was death. And his greatest fear was something that Elijah never experienced. His greatest fear was something that he never experienced. There's only two people in the Bible who have not experienced death. And if we were to read the rest of the story, we know for Elijah that God sent a chariot of fire from heaven. And it swept down, and it swept Elijah up, and it took Elijah to glory. He never experienced his greatest fear. What is your greatest fear? What is the thing that consumes you the most? What is your biggest what if? in life. I'm not going to say that God is going to spare you from that what if like God did to Elijah. John 16:33 Jesus says in this world you will have trouble but take heart for I have overcome the world. Well, I want us to understand that even our greatest what if, even our greatest fear that God will still be with you. That he will still be enough. He will still be the foundation that we can lean on and that we can trust. See, I take comfort in this story. I take comfort in seeing this man of God, this prophet, Elijah, on top of the world in one minute. And the next minute we see him at the bottom in depression. Because the reality is, this is a picture of my life. 
This is a picture of what my life looks like. We have the greatest victories. We have the greatest church service weekend ever. And I go home. They say, God, I can't do it anymore. God, I can't do it anymore. And I hit the bottom. And I look at Elijah and I say, this is what our lives look like. We have these great things that God does for us. And the next moment, we're beaten down. And we're deep and depressed. And we're blue. And we have nowhere to go anymore. And I love that I can just look at this story and know that God told Elijah, rest. God said, replace those lies that you're believing with my truth. Replace those lies that you're believing with my truth. God speaks to us in that still small voice, and then God sends us back out and gives us something to do. I take comfort because Elijah's life is my life. And I take comfort in knowing Elijah's not done. God's hand is still on Elijah's life. God's never left him nor forsaken him. And God has never left you nor forsaken you.